good morning, Ward Church. Welcome to those of you with me here in the sanctuary. Hello to our friends online and, of course, our friends over at Farmington Hills. I hope you all are having a good morning. My name is Jenny Neighbor. I'm the director of Young Adults here at Ward, which means I get to hang out with our 18 to 30-year-olds on a regular basis. It's a job that I love, but it's my pleasure this morning to get to be here with you as we continue our series through the book of Ecclesiastes. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the experiments of Solomon and what he does under the sun. And today we're going to continue our experiments as we look at the wine and dine experiment, which is conducted in chapter 2. If you like to follow along, we'll be in chapter 2 today. And Solomon, he kind of gives himself into this life of excess. And as he gives himself into this life of excess, he's asking himself, what can I gain under the sun? Before we get into the passage this morning, I do want to give two caveats for today's sermon. The first is that while we're talking about a life of excess and pleasure, we're not going to be discussing addiction this morning. That conversation is coming in two weeks on July 30th. As a heads up for parents, we'll be talking about that that week. But this morning, we are going to be talking about what it means to kind of give in to every desire and to give in to a life of excess. So I do think it's important that we address the ways that this life of excess and constantly giving in to every pleasure can lead us into addiction. As we look to it for a way of survival, we can find ourselves there. If you are there this morning, if you are struggling with that or you are questioning if you are there, I would love for you to um, ask for help. I'm here. We have an awesome care team. They would love to give you resources. They have so much available for you to help you, so don't stay in that alone this morning. My second caveat for you is that we're going to be talking about possessions. We're going to be talking about life in abundance. Um, However, I know that our group is socioeconomically diverse, and so that's going to sound really different to each one of us this morning. So when we talk about possessions and seeking what we need, we're not talking about seeking what we need to survive. Instead, we're talking about consuming in overabundance, consuming in a point of excess. So that, again, sounds different for each one of us, but it is not just a rich person's problem as we can all find ourselves living in that today. So if you're still with me after those two caveats, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we welcome you into this space this morning. We just thank you for the privilege it is to be in your house and to worship you and to hear from your word. And so Lord, I pray this morning that I would just be a vessel for you to speak. I pray that you would move me out of the way. Would you make much of yourself? Would you speak to us through your word? Help us to know what it is you have for each one of us this morning. We thank you and we pray all of this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, in 1972, Dr. Michelle, a psychologist at Stanford, founded this clinical study called the Marshmallow Test. And he decided that based off of one thing, you could determine the future success and happiness of a person. And that one thing is the marshmallow. So in the marshmallow test, he took children, they were each brought into a room, and in the room, in front of them, was placed one marshmallow. And the kids were told, if you can wait to eat the one marshmallow, we're going to leave and we're going to come back, and if you can wait to eat it, I'm actually going to give you two. Now this test, this clinical study, was a test in delayed gratification. Dr. Michelle wanted to understand what ways do we as humans hold off on getting what we want. Well, you can imagine how this test goes, right? Each kid, when they're given the opportunity for one marshmallow or two, 
They're like, yeah, I want two, because who, who doesn't? Who doesn't want two marshmallows? So they do their best to wait, and they come up with all these different ideas to hold off on eating the marshmallow. Some touch it, smell it, some even lick it, which is technically not eating it. While others, they, they stare at the ceiling, or they turn around, or tell stories, anything to keep them from thinking about it. And my favorite is when they cover the marshmallow with their hands, as if to say, if I can't see it, then I won't eat it. Now, they found that some of these ways of delayed gratification were more successful than others, but I mentioned that Dr. Michelle concluded you could determine the success, the future success of a person from this. Well, that came years later as he, out of pure curiosity, checks back in on the kids of the marshmallow test. And what he finds is that these kids who waited longer have higher test scores, lower BMI, and he concluded that they must be overall more successful, more happy in life. Now, scientists and psychologists have since debunked a lot of Dr. Michelle's findings, taking particular issue with his simple assumptions around what success means, but more so his lack of consideration for the socioeconomic status of each kid and, and how they were raised socially. However, our society has really clung to the marshmallow test in many ways. You can still find the videos of these tests as this test was conducted, and even policies and ideas of education and what's important has taken place based off of this idea that delayed gratification would equal success. And I think our longing for that is really there's an appeal, right, in this idea of a clear understanding of success and happiness. And that's because as humans, we love to wrestle with the idea of what makes a good life. What gives us fulfillment? And you can see this in the bookstores. If you walk through the, the aisles, you'll see books on happiness, on success, on what it means to live your best life. And you can find podcasts and YouTube videos on a million different lifestyles of how to live simply, how to declutter your home and your mind, or how to be your authentic self. We as humans love to experiment with what equals the good life. And Solomon today is no exception. As we're going to look at the experiment that he sets up for us, and he sets it up with the, his first verse as he asks this question. He said, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? What does pleasure accomplish? This is the question that Solomon is seeking to answer. This is the question that he's asking himself. And let's keep reading as we figure out how he goes about answering this test. He says, I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. Here he's saying, I'm intentionally going into this. He's doing this with intention. He says, I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them, and I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me, and I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart." I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. 
Solomon here we see gives in to a life of desire, both good and both bad things. He says, I'm going to take it all in. He amasses this whole estate for himself, and then he indulges in, in pleasure and in, in possessions. He's taking in everything, and he gives in to sex and wine and power over others. And Solomon sums it up well himself, as he says in verse 10, he says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. He denied himself nothing his eyes desired and refused his heart no pleasure. Solomon's wine and dine experiment is an experiment in indulgence, taking in anything he desires. And as I was looking at Solomon's wine and dine experience, I found myself asking, what might be our equivalent today? What would the modern wine and dine experiment sound like? There's a lot of different options, but maybe it sounds something like this. I stayed up really late until 2 a.m. last night, doom scrolling on my phone, even though I needed to wake up early. And then I slept in anyways, and I eventually made it to work. And at work, I spent hours gossiping about my coworkers on Teams, And then I came home and I bought 12 things from Amazon. You see, I didn't need any of the 12 things, but my neighbor got this new gadget for their house and I really wanted one too. And well, you know Amazon, in order to get free shipping, you gotta hit a certain amount and I really wanted the free shipping. So I put another thing in there and then there's that suggested for you bar. So I just clicked a few more. And anyways, 12 boxes are showing up tomorrow. For the rest of tonight, I'll probably kick back with six hours of Netflix, two bottles of wine. I'm going to fight a lot on Facebook because I want to know that my opinion is heard throughout the land. Now, obviously, that's just one little snippet, right? There's so many other options for what the wine and dine experiment could sound like today. We didn't get into sex or food or vacation or work or any like video games or candy or any of those other things, but there's so many options. And the pleasure of choice may be different for all of us, but I think the question that we have to ask is, are we living the wine and dine experiment today? So there's no shortage of pleasure for us in our world today. Dr. Tom Funikin, he's a professor of medicine at Harvard, he says this, he says that we are cacti in a rainforest. And like cacti designed for an arid climate, we are currently drowning in dopamine. See, there's no shortage, and so we do have to ask ourselves, when faced with this passage from Solomon, are we living the wine and dine experiment today? And what's, if so, what's the result? Because the danger really comes, not from being cacti in a rainforest, but when we begin to believe that the fulfillment we can find is found in the sea of pleasure. So are we living a wine and dine experiment? And if so, what are we gaining? Well, Solomon gives us the results himself, right? He already conducted this for us. And so we're going to see Solomon's results here as he begins to say in verse 10, my heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Meaningless, a chasing after the wind. This is, Solomon says, I've done it all. I've experienced it all. I've tasted it all. I've I've taken it all in, and here's what I found. Meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Solomon here gives us this phrase that he's going to give us so many times throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, meaningless. 
And meaningless, its Hebrew word hevel, can also be translated to vapor. And so what Solomon is saying here is the things of this earth, earthly pleasures, are but vapor. Okay, so I know it's summer and no one wants to be thinking about winter just yet, but bear with me for a moment and imagine stepping outside on a really cold Michigan morning. You breathe out and immediately you can see your breath. It's very obvious and it's evident, but what would happen if you reach in front of you to try to hold on to your breath? It would disappear, right? What Solomon is saying here is earthly pleasure, when we try to hold on to it, is like our breath on a Michigan morning. It is just vapor. It is just temporary, here for a moment and gone the next. And this is the result of our wine and dine experiment too. Last week, as we looked at the wisdom experiment, Terrence presented this idea around earthly wisdom, which is that it's not insignificant, but it is incomplete. And I want to offer us something similar today as we think about earthly pleasure, which is that earthly pleasure isn't pointless, it's just limited. Earthly pleasure isn't pointless, it's just limited. Earthly pleasure isn't pointless because these things are good things, right? A good meal, singing and dancing into midnight, winning a really hard round on your video game, or new clothes, or new shoes, or even a new house. These things are not inherently bad. Even Netflix and social media are not inherently bad. Earthly pleasure isn't pointless because it actually points us to the one who created these good things. It points us back to a God who gives good gifts, who delights when we delight in the things that he has made. Earthly pleasure isn't pointless, and I, as I was working on this, I thought of my grandmother. When my grandmother was alive, she would eat one piece of Dove chocolate every day. And she had a little bowl of chocolates that would sit next to her in her chair in the living room, and around 2 p.m. she would pass out a chocolate to each person. And as she would eat it, she would say to herself, it's good for a person to have a piece of chocolate each day. See, that's the beauty of earthly pleasure. It gives us moments of goodness, of sweetness, in a world that often feels dark and broken and empty. It gives us moments to look to the goodness of God, to remember who he is, and to taste and see the goodness that he's offering us. Earthly pleasure isn't pointless. And William Cavanaugh says it well this way in his book, In Being Consumed, he talks about desire itself. And he says, desire is not simply negative. Our desires are what gets us out of bed in the morning. We desire because we live. To want good things is not bad. We were, we were made that way, and the Lord has provided us good things to delight in. Earthly pleasure isn't pointless, but it is limited. See, the other thing earthly pleasure does, besides point us to God, is point us in its finite state to the need for something more, something deeper, something lasting. See, the limitation on earthly pleasure comes when we begin to look to those pleasures to fulfill us, to give us a sense of meaning and purpose. That's when the issue arises because we're asking earthly pleasure to last longer than it was designed to do. You think of it this way, which is that a good meal only lasts so long before it's cold or it's consumed. A good bottle of wine, no matter how good, will eventually have to be poured out. Our money has to be spent or it gets left behind. 
The warmth of a hug or a kiss can only last for a certain amount of time and our Netflix shows run out of seasons and our favorite clothes get holes in them and our shoes wear down. These things were not made to last forever. Rather, they're to tell us that we need something more. I think we're honest about our own journeys with earthly pressure. We've probably hit a point in our life where we wanted it to give us something more. So I think often our intent to eat or drink or watch or consume pleasure is really an attempt to eat, drink, watch, or consume meaning. And Solomon is no exception in his own experiment. He says it himself. I'm doing this to figure out what meaning is there in this world. So that gets us to this next question, which is if Solomon has concluded that the things of this world are just vapor, are just temporary, are offering us no meaning— What hope is there then? What hope can we find? Well, we have the good news to be able to look above the sun and to find our hope in the work of the cross and to find our hope in Jesus. See, Solomon didn't know about Jesus when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He had an idea of a Messiah that there is something wrong in this world. You can tell that, obviously. He's he's looking for something better. But he had no clue that it would be Jesus, God's only son, coming to this earth, living, walking amongst us as fully God and fully human, understanding us, coming to know us and sacrificing himself so that we could be repaired, so that we could be reconciled, so that we could be redeemed and made new and offered a new relationship with the Father. See, Solomon had no idea that Jesus and the gospel were true and what that would mean for the rest of eternity. And so that's the good news for us, because when we look below the sun, which is only where Solomon could look, and we find nothing, we get to look above the sun. We get to look to the work of the cross. We get to look at Jesus, which also means That when we test out earthly pleasure and we ask it for meaning and it proves to just be temporary vapor, temporary good things, we get to hold on to and grasp on to the truth of a king who has sought us, adopted us, and brought us in as co-heirs with Christ. We are not left driving for our happiness, right? Because our happiness can come in momentary moments of pleasure in our possessions and good things and our relationships, but we're not left looking to that for true eternal joy. That is found in the work of Jesus. And if our search for pleasure is really a search for meaning and fulfillment, then that meaning and fulfillment is found once and for all in the work of Jesus, What this provides us then is joy that lives outside of circumstance. When I think of joy outside of circumstance, I think of the book of Philippians. As the Apostle Paul wrote, from prison to the church in Philippi, I want to take a look at some of what he says in the book. As he says in chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Now we can imagine that Paul, in prison, is not having a lot of access to earthly pleasures of his day. 
And yet, and yet, he is writing to the church saying, rejoice. And that's because Paul has found his joy outside of the circumstance that he is in. If you know his story, you know he faces a lot of beatings and imprisonment just because of what he believes in. But Paul is sitting here saying rejoice to the church because he knows that his joy is not found in the temporary pieces of his life. His joy is not found in his circumstance. Rather, his joy is found in the good news of Jesus in the news of reconciliation and redemption. Because for Paul and for us, to know that Jesus would come and to sacrifice just so that we can be made new, that we can be offered something deeper, is enough to fulfill a person. The gospel is enough to fulfill a person. And Jesus himself challenges us with this thought as he's talking to the disciples in Mark chapter 8, and he says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul. Jesus says here what we know to be true, which is that when we look to earthly pleasure to fulfill us, we will be left wanting more. See, when we look to earthly pleasure to give us a sense of enoughness, to give us a sense of purpose and a sense of meaning, we, that's when we find ourselves drowning in a sea of dopamine, yet wishing for more. And it's when we look to money and sex and possessions and relationships to give us a sense of meaning that we find ourselves disgruntled and unhappy and needing more of this or more of that. And it's often when we keep pursuing these things that we find ourselves pursuing pleasure outside of God's goodness, outside of his desire for us. And Jesus says, you can do that. You can, you can run after every pleasure in this world. You can run after every grip, good gift and try to grip onto it. But what good is that if you forfeit your soul? Jesus challenges us and he says, I'm offering you something better. I'm offering you something eternal. I'm offering you something that will not go away no matter what you do. But what are you going to choose? And so that leaves us today with the question of what will we chase? Will we be people who chase after earthly pleasures, longing for those things, those good gifts, right? Because we have to recognize that these are good gifts, good temporary gifts. God gave them to us. As I said last hour, this is not an excuse to just ignore all good things that God has given us. But will we chase after them for meaning, or will we be, will we be a people who chase after God? Will we be people who live with joy outside of our circumstance? If you're sitting here today, you're thinking, that's awesome. But how? How can I really balance the good things, the good gifts of this world, our earthly pleasures, and balance focusing on Jesus and not lose sight of the cross? Well, the good news is Solomon has given us a really good clue of how to do that. He says it in his line that he says over and over again, meaningless vapor. If the things of this world, if earthly pleasure is but vapor, then we have to, as people, relate to it as vapor, which means we get to live under the sun with open hands. We get to experience good things as they come, but when they leave, we aren't left anymore. We let it go. We aren't left looking for our meaning because while we live under the sun with open hands, we live above the sun with our hands gripped to Christ. 
And so if you're wondering, how do I balance it? Well, you experience the good things as they come. You thank the Lord for them, but you daily remind yourself that your meaning, your purpose, your fulfillment is found in Jesus. And if that's the case, then that is a fulfillment and a purpose and a meaning that lives outside of our circumstance. That provides us an assurance that does not go away. It provides us actually the freedom to enjoy the things that God has given us to enjoy and to rest in the promises of Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, first we want to just say that we thank you for the gifts you have given us, but we confess that it's so easy to look to, to, look to those things to fulfill us. And so, Lord, I ask for your strength for each one of us that we may remember who you are and who we are in light of the work that you've done. May we remember your son. As we look under the sun, we may feel disheartened, but can we always remember to look above the sun to see the work that you have already offered, the redemption and the reconciliation that you have promised that you are bringing forth to this world. May we be people who chase after you and not the things of this world. Lord, we pray all of this in your son's name. Amen.